Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a tarmacker, and I love films. As Paolo Coelho once said, When we love, we always strive to become better than we are. When we watch a film with an open heart, it can be even better than it was meant to be. I watched Howard the Duck recently with a big, wide heart. I didn't hate it. Oh, that's a nice take, Paolo Coelho. Every week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, Ricky Gervais, and everyone's favourite, Petty Pambles. But this week, it's the better, late than never, extra special. Look out, here it is, end of year, 2020. Films of the Year edition with Mr. Nish Kumar. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you get extra stuff for all the episodes. You get videos, you get secrets with the guests, you get all sorts. Find all of it and more over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Also, watch Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. Season 1 is there, all of it. You can watch it in one go. You can watch it spread over time, however you, however you choose to watch things. I'm not here to judge you. Do you know? Do you, just live your life, and I hope it's a good one. Nish Kumar and I, right? So if you, I don't know if you've ever heard these episodes before. Nish and I do a end of year special where we try and talk over best films of the year in some kind of format. Very, you know, I ask the questions I usually ask on the on the podcast, but related to the year 2020. In this case, we did this very late on Sunday over Zoom. It was meant to be, you know, we were supposed to bang it out in an hour. Obviously, it went on far too long, and now I'm going to have to split it into two parts, all right? But the rules were the same. Any film that was released between January 1st and December 31st in the UK counts. Uh, you may notice there's no mention of the Small Axe films, and that is because, although they're incredible, I'm classifying them as TV, even though you could argue they're films, but they were on TV, I'm classifying them TV because for the same reason, if I'm not allowed to say Twin Peaks The Return was an 18-hour film, then we can't have small acts. That's, do you know what I mean? I mean, it's a difficult system, but I guess that's the system. Uh, this is podcast is a big old fucking, pardon my French, rambling mess, and I hope you get something out of it. And, what's, you know, we, there's so much we didn't get time to talk about, and this one... It's riddled with spoilers. If we start talking about a film you haven't seen, pause the podcast, watch the film, get back to it. 
probably needs trigger warnings over it. Be careful. Watch the films we discussed if you haven't seen. I'm already annoyed that we forgot to mention The Secret Love and Dick Johnson is dead, but at least I've remembered to say them now. And The Platform. You need to watch The Platform. That was good. And Possessor. Fuck, I forgot Possessor. Anyway, it's a nightmare. Look, here it is. It was great. We didn't even... I'll tell you what else we didn't do. We didn't do a worst film. And that was partly because I didn't see any bad films and I didn't want to be mean to anyone who'd made a film. We'd all been through enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's let's be nice. One last warning for spoilers all over this. Right, I think that's all you need to know. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy part one of the Better Late Than Never extra special end of year 2020 films of the year episode of Films To Be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with the End of Year Special. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today for the sixth time, the sixth time in his life. Please welcome back from the dead by some miracle. He's a comedian, he's an actor, he's a writer, he's a guest star, he's a host star, he's the star of his own show, Uncut Toilet Dish, and one of my all-time heroes. Please welcome back to the show. It's Mr. Nish Kumar. <laughs> I feel like every time you say actor because you're trying to will it into existence. Yeah, I really want that to be a thing. It's palpably not true. I mean... Also, I feel like we should quickly contextualise why you've used the phrase uncut slash toilet niche to describe... A piece of work that I've done. <laughs> uh, if you'd like. All right. So, well, well. firstly, I was going to ask you. Uh, well, okay. Nish, Nish Kumar, for those of you who don't know, um, had a show on Quibi. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Quibi. Pour a sip on the concrete for Quibi. Uh, the, um, the first app to die of coronavirus. <laughs> Add it to the stats. Add it to the stats. Now, uh, Nish had a show called The Nish Report on the BBC and then he went to Quibi and made a show which I called Uncut Nish because it was just Nish. It was pure <laughs> Uncut Nish and it was uh, seven, to, seven to eight minutes a week and it was, I mean, it's the only way I understood what was going on in the news and I loved it. It was also the absolute perfect length to watch on the toilet and <laughs> hence why I called it Uncut Toilet Nish and uh it was it was phenomenal, and um, unfortunately, it's no longer with us. But how was that? Good time. <laughs> well, I get what what a year, Brett. What a year, twenty twenty. Well, I was going to say we're doing. Let's let's just go back a bit, right? For those of you who are new to the podcast, I never do a films of the year at the end of the year because that's madness. Because a film could come out December thirtieth, and you've put out your episode December 28th and suddenly you look like a fucking idiot. I feel like there was a film, there was a specific story that caused this, right? Wasn't there? There was one year where you decided your films of the year and then something. Yeah, it was, it was to do with um, Little Miss Sunshine was my film of the year and then right at the end of the year, Pan's Labyrinth popped out. Yeah, and, right, uh, that's it, yes. And I was like, oh shit. I mean, we have it every year, it happens. But but this year, actually, this if this is coming out end of January, this is a record for us because last year I think it came out in March. Uh, but... <laughs> This has been complicated. Here's the thing. It's complicated this year because to me, 2020 was quite a forgettable year. <laughs> like 
but but one thing that was memorable about it is that cinemas shut and it was quite hard to see films and the way I've always had our films of the year, the rules are, has to have had a UK release between January 1st and December 31st. 100%. But this year was so complicated because it kept moving, dates kept moving. There are yeah. films I've seen that now are officially not going to be released until next year. I mean, it's all over the shop. And there was a sort of pr- proliferation of there were no cinemas. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you how you felt this year. I mean, I guess, how did you feel this year in general? I mean, this is a podcast about cinema through the medium of death. And if there's one thing we weren't able to do, it was go to the cinema. And if there's one thing we were all forced to do, it was, you know, wrestle with the spectre of death. (laughs) Worry about death. I I will say this, right? I had some merchandise for the podcast. There was a man who did, a a lovely man who'd done some merchandise for me. Um, I've closed it down because the merchandise, we seemed fun at the time we did it, was big hoodies that said, do you worry about death? And my mum wore this all the time out. And I th- I think you need to stop wearing that because it doesn't, it feels different now. <laughs> Walking with a mask around people in the street with a massive thing saying, do you worry about death? She feels like a sort of end of the worlder. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, I do worry about death. The air is full of poison. And every day a man from the government comes and reads <laughs> death statistics. Like if, how many people died of the poisoned air. Like yeah. it is interesting. I wonder if it's shifted mm. the axis and forced people to, because certainly in the United Kingdom, in terms of the numbers, unfortunately, you're not too far away from knowing somebody's lost somebody. But even if you haven't directly lost somebody, you've been confronted by this, the spectre of it. It's pretty right in your face. Yeah. How have you been as someone who I'd say a bit of a yeah. warrior? You're a bit of a warrior. And then up, up, yeah. up pops the global pandemic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I keep hearing that people say it actually calmed them. People who were very anxious go, well, it's happened now. Were you one of them or did it make it worse? How's your head been? One thing I will say is like, I sort of come from a family of people who like obsessively wash their hands. And so like, I think I'm one of the few people... Oh for whom the hand-washing regimen is like, everyone has just caught up to my usual level of obsession with hand-washing. When, pe- when they were like, you know, when they were government information films and people saying, when you get in, you have to make sure that you wash your hands. I was like, who is not doing that? Any- what are you just walking in <laughs> from just the world with just that has shit literally just smeared all over it? And you're walking around just touching the shit smeared world and then just walking into your house and grabbing a pair. What are you doing? Like... I always washed my hands. I yeah. also knew the happy birthday thing before this year. <laughs> I knew the happy birthday thing. So in a way, all of my worst fears have been confirmed. So it's probably not like a massively healthy year for me psychologically, because in a way I've, I, I've, I was like, yes. So you didn't get, you didn't get, there wasn't like a lovely feeling of, I told you so. No, there wasn't a lovely no, that's <laughs> relief. The, no, that's the problem with being a kind of somebody who catastrophizes constantly. Is at no point do you ever get the satisfaction of saying, I told you so. You know, when the meteor hits, it hits all of us. <laughs> Even if you've expected the meteor your entire life, mm. <laughs> the honesty of this catastrophe does not sort of exclude you from it happening. So it's like, yeah, it's been... It's been a, it's been a very tricky year for for everybody, and I think the most important thing to flag up is like I haven't lost any family members, and everyone I know that's had it has had it relatively in a way that's been manageable. So 
you know, on the one hand, you're like, you have to be grateful for those um, those small mercies. But I definitely didn't have that feeling of like, ha ha, yes, I knew it. I knew everything was the worst. <laughs> I knew secretly everything was the worst. Yeah, when my mum was walking around with a hoodie saying, do you worry about death? I told her to stop because I did think, I don't think people are looking at that going, oh, I wonder if there's a podcast about that. Has it been a weird year for you? Because I don't think we've really discussed this, even though we do talk regularly, not for the purposes of this podcast. I, oh, Brett's just flashed his chest there. That's an exciting... It was signing for the Patriots. <laughs> That's what they pay for. That's what they pay for. And it's quite apt that the torso was brandished at that point on my screen. Because the torso is what I want to talk about. Because, I mean, your torso has become a sort of topic of conversation on the internet because of its because of its prominence in Ted Lasso. And that is what I wanted to ask you. You had a really good year, professionally. Everything else, absolute catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, professionally, wonderful. No complaints. Yeah. You and Detol have absolutely made out of 2020 like bandits. Was it weird to have <laughs> yeah, that happen? And also true. I think this, the success of Ted Lasso, which is, which is a fucking amazing show, but it's almost like... God bless you. I, I wonder, have you been able to separate it from the pandemic? Because in my mind, I can't separate it from the pandemic because I love the show and I'm sure I would have loved the show any time it came out. I think it's a brilliantly constructed sitcom and it's full of like characters that you really love spending time with and it's a really... It's a great premise, but I can't separate it in my mm. mind from how much it was a comfort during the pandemic to watch Ted Lasso and hang out with all my great friends. Is that a weird thing for you to have to do? Or is it, is it nice? There was a thing that I've been thinking about a lot, because when we talk about comedy films, we'll get to this, but I, someone wrote, I mean, lots of people write amazing... Well, okay, A, it's all very surreal, because all of these things have happened... Professionally, you're right, it's been best year of my life amazing i'm so delighted with the reception to ted lasso and all that but it's also very surreal because <laughs> i haven't left this attic and uh, <laughs> so it's just sort of reading lovely things on the internet which is really lovely but it's also like you sort of feel mad like you know people a lot of people have said to me you've had an amazing year and i think i haven't left this room but yes I know what you meant. but also one of the few times <laughs> you left your room this year was to like go and interview Edgar Wright for this show. And like you talked to like Pat and Oswald and Sharon yeah. Stone, yeah. fucking Sharon Stone, mate. <laughs> that was 2020. Oh yeah. Was that this year? Fuck. Here's the thing that I think is interesting about Ted Lasso, And this is not, I c- and I'm really sorry that I don't remember the name of the guy that wrote this. Someone on Twitter wrote a very long and fascinating thread that they had a theory about Ted Lasso. And I think it's a really interesting one, which is, he said, part of why Ted Lasso is surprising and, and seems to connect with people is because it is about a man who is ignorant. He's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know about this thing. But he's optimistic and he's kind and he's not stupid. He's willing to learn. Like he's there with an open heart, curious, I, I will learn as I go sort of thing. And he said, and it's been a long time since we've seen that sort of archetype because for the last 10 years or so, the comedy male lead has been the sort of Will Farrell sort of arrogant, stu- yeah. again, ignorant person who doesn't know what they're doing in this situation, but is sort of arrogant and shouty, willfully stupid and kind of mean because it doesn't matter because they're a sort of confident 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and then and what this person was saying, and part of why that has dated that sort of archetype yeah. is because of Trump. Is because that is what Trump is because Will Farrell used to play yeah. a Trump type character and then that became the reality and suddenly it's not so fun anymore yeah. watching a loud, shouty, <laughs> stupid, horrible man. <laughs> and this is the other thing I want to talk about. I mean, maybe we fuck it, we'll do it now. What I think one of our things we should talk about is comedy films. And what I think was really interesting, I watched Greed yeah. the other night because you recommended it and I loved it. And I and also Borat. I think both Greed and Borat are interesting comedy films because they're very, very, yeah. very unsubtle. There's no misreading of their point. And I think what's inter- interesting, particularly about Borat, whether you like it or not, is that when Borat, the original film came out, it was surprising and shocking to see him reveal americans being racist and and mean and all of that so in this film there was a lot less of that because it was sort of like oh that isn't a surprise anymore that's out in public life that's just everyone openly shouting at people and being mean and being uh racist and stuff and in borat the new film and in greed you usually i usually admire films that are subtle and go yeah leave it up to you you'll work it out whereas both these films sort of went no this is exactly what i want to tell you here is the meaning here is the point yeah you need to vote you need to do this this man is misogynist this is what's going on and i thought that's a real journey that these filmmakers have been on where they're going i ain't got time now for anyone to interpret this i just got a fucking here's why we're here Oh, 100%. But, like, in the first Borat movie, like, one of the, like, the song Throw the Jew Down the Well and The Running of the Jew were, like, mm. were kind of big comedic beats. But that sort of stuff is less funny because, you know, the, the president of America's supporters... When it's real. ...in 2017 in Charlottesville were chanting, Jews will not replace us in the street. And so it's not it's not yeah. funny or shocking to reveal that because if you want to see that now, you just have to go on the news. And so it it was an interesting p- position for Sasha Baron Cohen to be in, having like and choosing to revive mm. Borat this year was was an interesting was an interesting move. Yeah. Oh, do you know what Nish? Fuck. How long we've we been? I forgot <laughs> to tell you something. <laughs> it's fucking mad and you know i i I can't believe this has happened again but uh mate honestly i'm not saying you've got bad luck it happens i guess you've you've died you've died again again for the record this is the fourth time you've died because you died uh once by crossing the road yeah uh listen to yourself on a podcast about brexit uh, then the next time I had you on, I just brought you back from the moment yeah. just before you died, and then I put you back, and so you died. It's the same death. The second time you died yeah. uh, from bread roll, and the third time you died from a heart attack yeah. because of your basic lack of good health. Uh, so here we are. How did you die this time, you <laughs> poor thing? With the sort of COVID thing, because we're on lockdown at the moment, and because of my slightly obsessive personality, the most likely thing is that I would end up getting so paranoid that I'd end up like washing my hands to death like i've managed to like flay the skin off my hands <laughs> and like end up detoling my entire skin and somehow pro- possibly yes. you know ending up killing myself that way i like that well i don't <laughs> like it i mean it's horrible De- but... yeah detoling my or like choking on a double mask that'd probably be the way that I'd end up. <laughs> <laughs> he died the way he lived really really paranoid <laughs> really unnecessarily paranoid 
so you've come back to heaven. Everyone's delighted to see you again, surprised and delighted. And um, they want to talk about the year in film. They want to talk about 2020 in film. They've got some questions. Um, I've got a theory to start us off. You know how Edinburgh yeah. Fringe, we do the Edinburgh Fringe, there's always a theme yeah. that emerges over the month, like, oh, this yeah, was yeah, the year yeah. about mental health. And then the year after that, yeah. is, this was the year about mental health. And then the year after that was like, oh, this was the year about mental health. Do you know what I mean? Because all the blockbusters yeah. got pushed, so we were mainly left with independent yeah. films and smaller films. I noticed that okay. there were three themes of 2020 in films. They were abortion, dementia <laughs> and lesbians. Those were the, those were the main <laughs> things on filmmakers' minds this year. It, listen... It's been a strange old year. I mean, the fact that I've the, not being able to go to the cinema, I didn't realise how much it impacted on my lifestyle. It definitely has oh, yeah. changed my experience of watching the film. Like, the, there, there is a part of you, even when you enjoy a film, that you're watching for the first time at home. There's a part of you thinking, oh, I'd love to mm. see that. I'd love to see that on, in, on the old big screen. Yeah. It's also what I realised is... Cinema is like my, uh, yeah. it's my happy place. It's where I go to be alone. It's where I go, like, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like church for me. You know what I mean? And it isn't just it's the, the ritual. Film. It's the whole, yeah. the, it's the ritual, big, big yeah. crying into your popcorn on your own when no one can see you. Great. It's the ritual of it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's coming out sort of blinking into the daylight because we go and see movies at 2pm because we don't have real mm. jobs. You know, it's all it's it's the ritual of the whole thing. It's buying the tickets, it's getting the popcorn, it's uh, looking at somebody who's on their phone a little bit too deep into the trailers and thinking, "You better fucking turn this off, otherwise I'm going to have a word." That's what I've always think. This better not be. We're, di- we're 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 on the second actual trailer trailer. We're out of the the adverts of the Wild West. Yeah. Do what you want in that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk if you want. Stand up, sit down. But mind. the trailers, you should be. That should around. be an adjustment period for the etiquette for a film. But, mm. you know, it's it's definitely been weird with stuff coming straight out on video. But ultimately, good movies are good movies. And there's still been a lot of really good movies, even though a lot of them have centred around the three themes of abortion, dementia and lesbianism. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this. I, well, I definitely have. I have definitely seen less films this year than I normally do, which tells you how much yeah. I like, prefer the cinema. I've seen a lot less. I've had to really like make an effort to catch up because I, do, I find it difficult to watch films at home. It doesn't, it's very difficult to get the um, circumstances right. Yeah, it's very difficult for me to watch horror films at home because um, I can only watch them during the day because I get too scared. And uh, it does slightly ruin the atmosphere because <laughs> the, there's like glare coming in from the sun outside. <laughs> And so I could just see my own face. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's not an invisible man. It's you. <laughs> Elizabeth Moss is reacting terrified <laughs> to me looking scared of her. Right. Go I got some questions for you. What's the first film you saw in 2020? The first film I saw in 2020 is something of a technicality because I'd actually seen it before, but it was the second time that I watched Jojo Rabbit. Um, that was the first calendar release film that i saw um in 2020 that so that i but it was the second time i think we talked about this last year but i actually went to the jojo rabbit premiere and had a semi-disastrous uh, uh, appearance is... on the red carpet with celebrity new zealander rosemary 
where they said, who, who is this? What happened? Well, what, uh, eventually, after a moment of deafening silence, one of the photographers went, Nish? But in a way that suggested he had no fucking clue and was really, really chancing his arm. Um, so I went, I saw it at the premiere and then I saw it um, again uh, in January. And I think we're going to talk about it more a little bit later on. So maybe we can talk about it then. Because I, I think it's an interesting conversation okay, we'll talk about it. to be had about that movie. Mm. I started 2020 by seeing Uncut Gems. It's just a really chilled way in. <laughs> just a real chilled, just easy way, easy way in. What a film year. though. What film to start? Oh, I love Uncut Gems is one of the. There's a few films that have been released this year that I've seen multiple times, and Uncut Gems is. I've seen that a few times now. Yeah, I absolutely love I've it. Seen it a few times, I yeah. absolutely love it. It would be one of my answers for like film that meant the most because the experience you had seeing it. Because what I, I saw it packed yeah. at the cousin Soho at full cinema, and it was like people were watching an action <laughs> film because. I've never seen that place so vocal. Everyone going, fuck it out! Oh my God! Oh, stop! No! It was so fucking stressful and fun. You know, this is how I I win speech. (laughs) When you realise he's going to go back in, you're like, are you fucking kidding me? It's just a man making the worst decisions possible for two hours. Yeah. It, uh, but it's so good. And Sandler is like, it's my favourite Adam Sandler performance. And it's closely followed by my second favourite Adam Sandler performance, which is his acceptance speech of Best Actor at the Independent Spirit Awards, which if you haven't seen, it's really worth checking yeah, out. It's quite a brilliant great. piece of, it's got a brilliant piece of comedic writing and performance. That was really great. Tell me this, what's your theory? on? Like, I fucking love Uncut Gems and it, sits in a weird space in that it's absolutely compelling exciting it's about yeah not great people but he's not like i mean he's adam sandler so he's incredibly charismatic but no. but he's not like a cool guy you're stressed for his situation but you're also yes. stressed by him i don't know that you love him you're not like he's not the hero but you totally do want it to work out you're in this whole world of not necessarily yeah. good people at all, but it's absolutely fascinating. But it isn't the usual no. sort of like, oh, he's an anti-hero. Can't quite work out what it is. No, they've managed to find some midpoint between a hero and an anti-hero because he's like palpably less bad than most of the people in it. Like he's he's definitely yeah. be- better than like Eric Bogosian's character. And he's definitely better than the gangsters right. at the end of the movie. But he's not—he's not a good man. But also, he is—he's obviously charismatic enough that he's, you know, married to Adina Menzel and is having an affair with Julia Fox. Like he's obviously, <laughs> you know, either the guy's charismatic yeah. or his like he is packing a serious piece of heat. But that it's possible that Sandra is like. Sander is loaded with some heavy, hefty no, he, equipment. He must because be. that be. Sander definitely is packing it. That's the only thing that I can glean from the fact that that particular character is managing to go out with both of those women. But yeah, they found a like really odd space between a hero and an anti-hero. And, but also it just, it's such a noisy film. Like there's just constantly people talking yeah. and cross-talking and the most serene part of the whole, there's two serene bits of the film. The second serene bit is the ending because I maintain that that is, yeah. that's a happy ending for that movie. 
That's the only way that his character is ever going to be is ever going to be happy. It's the only time he's going to be at peace because if he had walked out of there with the money that he won, he would have just lost it a week later. And he died at like the peak of his happiness. And that was, and then it was just over. And I, I really think, so there's like the serenity of his face at the end, when you're looking at his dead body and there's just this calm washing over him. And the only other serene moment in that film is when you're up his arsehole. Those are the two, those are the two like calm bits in an otherwise like incredibly loud and busy yeah. film. I forgot you go up his bum and then kind of yeah. go back in yeah. his That's head. Like, the film begins and ends yeah. inside Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah, fuck. What a great film. They're fucking amazing filmmakers. It's just very impressive. And you're right, the sound in it, I don't know how they do it. All these people chatting over each other. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they shoot. I don't know how they shoot that. I can't even understand how they... Do they shoot with two yeah. cameras? Like, I don't even understand how... They have... I think yeah. a lot of it is real. I heard them talk about it. Like, they've got Adam Sandler mic'd up and stuff, and, and a lot of people are... He's just walking through the streets, and the cameras are quite far away. So people <laughs> are going, oh, my God, as in, it's Adam Sandler, but he replies in character, and because his yeah. character is always moving and shaking. It's like, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, good to see you. I'll be there in a minute. I'll come back in a minute. So there's lots of stuff. Where it is just real people going, fucking hell. And also, it was funny, man. It was funny. The thing where they can't get the door open. Oh, that's... I was going to talk about that. That (laughs) Amazing that one of the most stressful sequences in all of cinema is just someone not being able to open the door. That was the... Like, you... I was insane. That was like, open the fucking door! But also the fact... There was something about the sort of diction and the rhythm of the speech and stuff. Plus the fact that Kevin Garnett is in it playing this exaggerate and being really brilliant in it. It's a brilliant sort of celebrity sports person playing themselves thing in a movie. He's ace in it. Yeah. It it had the bits of it have the real edge of like Martin Scorsese presents Kirby enthusiasm. Like there's a real like element of (laughs) Scorsese weirdly directing a, an episode of Curb because there's like this sort of like the, the pace and the rhythm of the thing and then you've got a celebrity playing an exaggerated version of themselves and then there's kind of these constant like misunderstandings and it's great and also the shot of him from above handing the bag to her out of the window is like mm-hmm. it's one of the most beautiful shots in a film I saw this year I thought it was a really really lovely yeah. piece of shooting well done guys well done the Safety well brothers. brothers um What's the scariest film you saw this year? I've seen quite a few horror movies, and this is real. This is a real. Badly, it's, really this badly. is real. My journey with horror movies. I'm really getting into them now, and I'm really enjoying them. But I get very, very scared, Brett. I get very scared, and part of the reason I get very scared is I don't understand the difference between reality and fantasy, and so I really can't separate myself from it. So I've tried to do this as mathematically as possible because I really loved His House. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it was a great film. Really great. And also, like, I love the idea of... It's a really powerful idea, this idea of survivor's guilt amongst refugees, you know, who have made it out of really difficult mm. situations in their home countries and then made it through an incredibly perilous journey. And so they've lost people from home. They've lost people on the journey. And so building a horror movie out of that was a really interesting way of looking at that idea. And I thought the two central performances are really, really great. And 
it was properly scary. And also, I think uh, maybe also uh, it's playing on my mind a bit more because we're all trapped in our houses at the moment. The idea of your house turning against you Mm. or there being some sort of unseen demon in your house made it sort of feel more relatable than it might otherwise have been. I really liked The Invisible Man. I thought The Invisible Man was was really great, really, really fun. And I'm trying to do this as mathematically as possible. It took me the longest, because we've been watching all these movies at home, it took me the longest time to watch St. Maud because I kept having to pause it because I was too frightened. Now, you... I love this. And you must explain now, I fucking absolutely love St. Maud. I think it's one of the films of the year. I think it's amazing. I didn't find it that scary. I, I, I think it's pushing it, calling it a horror, but you were so scared. What happened? I was so scared. There's a re- I have a table just sat next to my sofa and I I keep looking at my, the red table just to remind myself that it's not real. I keep, like Jada and Will Smith, I have to take it to the red table. But with me, I'm not resolving domestic <laughs> disputes. I'm down. talking myself down because the movie is too scary. Because I think maybe also <laughs> I went into the, his house and I went into The Invisible Man and also The Lighthouse is another one. The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. I think, is a movie that people have slightly forgotten about because it came out in loads of other places last year and it came out in the UK in January. It's very early in the year. But The Lighthouse was a really unpleasant, nasty little movie. I thought it was a really, really good film and uh, Pattinson and Defoe were fucking great in it and it was really grim and horrible. But St. Maud, it took me, it's an 80-minute film that took me nearly two and a half hours to watch. (laughs) Wow. I kept... Wow. I kept having to stop it. The main actress I thought was so terrifying. Mm. I, I thought that she was so deeply frightening and I haven't seen her in anything else. So it was, which just sort of added to the whole thing of it. Also, that film is so fucking British. It's so fucking British. Like to the point that she even goes on a shit night out in a regional British pub. And that, uh, for that alone, I think that's why it really made me frightened. There's, There's something inherently creepy about particularly England, but generally Britain. And I feel like his house really caught it. Like the woman, the neighbour in his house, the neighbour in his house is just like, listen, I'm not scared of white people, but I'm not not scared of white people. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not wrong. The the neighbour in his house creeped me the fuck out. But yeah, there was something that those movies caught, I think, about what's creepy about Britain as a country. And also, you know, it's about like she works at an underfunded hospital. Like it was fucking gritty, you know, like it, it, everything about it was yeah. just gritty. And then, you know, and then also, you know, just the devil is, to quote Richard Pryor, the devil is out acting the motherfucking fool, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, which is always scary. The devil is always going to be frightening. And the ending, I was like, the ending, I was like, I thought I was going to have a panic attack. <laughs> The last half an hour of that movie. And it was also like, it was all types of horror. So it's like supernatural horror. There's like jump scares. Also, there's like lots of like visceral, like body horror. Like the stuff that she does to herself yeah, is so gross. And then the the ending, the end end is like, the, the last shot of yeah. that movie is fucking terrifying. Also, you're seeing it from her perspective. It's a horror movie from the horror's yeah. perspective. <laughs> the whole thing. So the whole time... <laughs> 
I don't think it's ever made explicitly clear whether you're supposed to believe she's mad or whether she, there is this. I don't know what you think, but the the very last frame, there's a part of you that's like, oh, is that the filmmaker saying this was all in her head? Or I felt like it. I don't. I don't think it was ever. No, clear. I don't think it is that. I think it's going. That's what's happening. But yeah, but it, it's still yeah, it's still up to you. I I I choose uh, to believe that uh, she. It's, that she's successfully real. killed the devil and she's going to heaven. It less... Yeah, it's a nicer ending. It's a that's that's a dark movie when her murdering Jennifer Ely is like the fun ending. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Saint Maud, Morfid Clark. Anyway. I'm sure you're a very nice lady, but you terrified me to the very depth of my being. She's fantastic. Um, what was your scariest film of the year? I think host was the skip. Yeah. So now I haven't actually seen this movie. So talk talk to me about it. I, I know the premise of it, but run me through it. So host is this Zoom is a is a horror film set on a Zoom call, and I have to give a shout out to Rob Amazing. Savage, the director, who also directed the first two episodes of Soulmates. But but he made this in lockdown. Everyone was bored, and he made this horror film which when i heard about it i thought well this sounds like a gimmicky old load of shit (laughs) and then you watch it and it's amazing it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking it's brilliantly acted what it's it reminded me of um like the first paranormal activity which as you know i'm a huge fan of you fully believe these people are friends it's funny it's got jokes in it it seems completely natural and because you're staring at a zoom which is something we're all used to looking at and it's just this, the the screen doesn't move, nothing's going on. It's just a person in their head. The frame stays the same, which means that it's inherently, as soon as you start thinking, is something going to appear behind them or is something going to come through that door or is something going to come from the ceiling? Suddenly you're just studying this frame for where the scary thing is going to happen. And it's, aside from being, like, giving all the caveats, like, it's so impressive, the special effects are amazing, and it was all shot wow. by themselves on their own in the house, each actor, and there are proper stunts in it, and there's proper, really impressive special effects. So it gets, like, you go, you want to give it extra points for pulling that off in lockdown, but taking away all of that, it's just a fucking good film. It's genuinely surprising and scary and funny, and it's short. It's, like, 49 wow. minutes or 50 minutes perfect that's great Love it's it. an amazing achievement that they managed to do that in lockdown and what a like inventive use of all the technology yeah it's really good and then my other scary film was boy state <laughs> but i think we're going to talk about that <laughs> later <laughs> hacks is back for season three and so is the official hacks podcast in each episode hacks creators lucia and yellow paul w downs and jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the emmy winning comedy series You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So what's the film that made you cry the most? Um, there, you know, there's quite a few. As discussed, Brett, you and I, soft boys, weepers. Absolute couple soft of... Boys. Uh, we, we're just a, a, a lunch money check awaiting for any bully. For me, there were moments in films that made me absolutely lose my shit. The, um, the ending of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the, um, mm. the, the, the there were individual moments like that that made me absolutely lose my mind. Boy State, again, we'll get to. But the film rocks, made me cry from beginning uh. to end. The only time I wasn't crying in rocks was when I was laughing hilariously at some of the dialogue or the sort of, the the younger brother who... I mean, that is one of the best performances yeah. of the year. I mean, that the younger brother in Rocks, that is gifted comedic acting. Like, that kid is yeah. fucking unbelievable. But I was just weeping yeah. throughout. Like, I, I couldn't... It was sheer volume. <laughs> like, I absolutely <laughs> couldn't contain myself. And then at the end, you're kind of weeping tears of joy because the situation has resolved itself in a way that I think is for the best for rocks and for her brother and so it is a, a happy uplifting mm-hmm. ending and it's hard to talk about rocks without making it sound like one of those british films you know the it, it's it, yeah. it's dealing with it's really it's it's a lot of social realism it's got a real you know kitchen sink british realism to it and it's largely actors that were working for the first time and the casting process sounds amazing. And the script itself was something that they worked out of kind of, you know, interviews and improv sessions with the cast. And so it has all of that, but there's so much joy and life in it. Mm. And the way that the teenage girls speak to each other, I mean, they are just teenage girls and they have that dynamic. You're watching something very sort of unvarnished, but, tremendously controlled because i think it's also easy to talk about that film and just kind of go well it seems like they just turned the cameras on but there's actually a huge amount of skill from the writers and directors and producers and the cast is so incredibly charismatic and charming and so i don't want to make it sound dreary because it's not it's a film with so much life and joy and love in it but it did make me cry for two hours from beginning to end from literally a minute in you're like oh yeah it's not even two hours and it's not even two hours long it's it's a lot shorter than that <laughs> that was just an extra half hour of you <laughs> weeping creeping in the from dark minute one you're like where's the mom gone she's not coming back oh god <laughs> it's stressful man it's tough stuff yeah. happening to little kids but i if you haven't if if listeners haven't seen rocks, I suspect the people that have listened to this podcast would have watched it, but it's such a incredible achievement and it's so joyful, but it is, it has to be my answer for the film that made me cry the most. Cause I was just crying for the entire time. Uh, I concur on all of those, except for it isn't the film that made me cry the most. The film that made me cry the most definitely. And it should be a surprise to know. <laughs> obviously a Pixar film. Uh, <laughs> And actually, thinking about it, I think it might have been the last film I saw in a cinema before right, everything right, shut right. down, which was uh, Onward. Right, yes. Uh, Onward, which I th- cried for a weekend, <laughs> an entire weekend. I saw it on Friday, still cried on Sunday. Monday, I started to move on with my life <laughs> with some counselling and stuff. 
Have you seen Onward? You've seen it. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I watched it on Disney Plus, so I don't know whether I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I didn't. Here's the thing: it's in the way that Pixar always. I, I didn't really like. I wasn't really into it. I was like, I don't like the. Oh, well, hello! Here we go. If, the, if Here I, we go. if I may. Bonjour. <laughs> I'm not into sort of whatever it is, sort of Dungeons yeah. and Dragons type shit. And, you know, I'm not really into this. I don't like the brother. The brother's annoying. I don't really care. I was like an hour in sort of thinking this one's not for me. And then they get to that ending and yeah. done it again. And it's so clever, that ending. And it's so emotionally sort of perfect. And the payoff, oh, my God, what a film. And I and I don't like it, but that end, like so clever. They're so fucking clever. It's an absolute killer that ending. And the fact that I didn't like the brother is like, you know what you're doing, Pixar, you little shits. I thought the ending of Soul was a real killer, but it wasn't. It was a killer uh, uh. in a different way for Pixar because it wasn't. It wasn't harrowing. Yeah, yeah, Soul, which which is on my list of things, was the first Pixar film that I loved with all my heart yeah, and yeah. didn't, yeah, I didn't about, cry for a week. It was basically about was like the joy of being alive and what it means to be alive. Oh, yeah. And you're like... It's the opposite yeah. of their messages. <laughs> it is. Usually it's the opposite message. I was like, what's happening over at Pixar? Someone's in love. <laughs> Someone's hit the source of the Pixar story meetings. <laughs> I love everything. <laughs> what if what if it was like a happy ending? <laughs> Shut I up. I love leaves. God, I love leaves. <laughs> Aren't leaves great? John's high again. You know what so- I like? Leaves and jazz. Those are the two things that I like. Oh, God. John's, John's hit his weed vape again. Oh, Christ. Weed and jazz. Uh, what is the film you love? But everyone hates, or it was underrated, or it wasn't. Why don't you tell me what this is, Brett, for you first? Well, for me, it's Jojo Rabbit, which had a very... Now we're into it. This is a big, spicy 2020 film topic. Here we go. Jojo Rabbit. Let's talk about it. Jojo Rabbit. So in the build-up to it, I was like, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, it's Taika Waititi. It's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to love it. And then it came out, and it was like... Literally five stars some places, one star other places. And I went to see this film and I thought, what what I found interesting, I was like, I don't even see what the argument against this film is. I cannot, it's, it seems so objectively a brilliant film to me. I can't understand the, the beef with it. And then I read things and, and the argument seemed to be, you know, it was using the Holocaust for humor and stuff like that. And, I can't listen. If you're a survivor and you're upset by Jojo Rabbit, obviously I can't say to you, "Well, you're wrong." <laughs> like <laughs> I go, "Absolutely, you're entitled." Of course, none of my business. Thank you. For, thanks for engaging in this conversation. I walk away. But to me, I go anything that gives a new perspective on something you th- you that that you that is a heavy, very very heavy subject. And often yeah. quite difficult and people don't want to engage with because it's too much and it's too depressing and it's too hard. Anything that engages you with it, it's almost like a, a trick. It's like, hey, you're watching a comedy. This is going to be fun. Yeah, and it's yeah. fucking funny and it's really entertaining and stuff. But it's devastating, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting thing to read. People felt that it was trivialising the events of the Holocaust. But I, because I thought, it, I, I thought it was... 
it's heavy. Mm. Like there's 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 properly heavy moments in it. I mean, it's mum's death. Yeah, is is you know is played absolutely straight. You know, it's it's a heavy thing. It's totally heavy, and and the 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 sort of effect. It, it, it it's odd and it plays in a really like odd space with these kids and but you know everyone's dying and the war is coming to an end and they're they're it's it's heavy shit but with some weird jokes i thought it was a really interesting thing because i because i saw the premiere i hadn't really read anything about it mm. i just knew that i loved his movies and so i thought oh i'll i'll you know i'm definitely interested to see this new one and, you know, it played very well in the room and, you know, mm. people really enjoyed it. And I came out after thinking, I, I really like that. And it was really interesting to then see the cycle of people's reaction to it. And it received like wild acclaim. And then he won the Adapted yeah. Screenplay Oscar. And also knowing a few people I know who absolutely detest it. Really? And then rewatching it a second time and kind of going, I do stand by this film. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I I can definitely see I'm really interested in some of the arguments around Sam Rockwell's character that there was this idea that yeah. they have to have a, a good Nazi in there to you know is how useful is that and how helpful is that to actually include in that because there's you know there's a lot of ongoing conversations about the need to um redeem people who shouldn't otherwise mm. be redeemed you know it's not based on a true story it is a fictionalization so why have why do you have to have that character in there and i am really interested in that i to be quite honest with you i had more of a problem with that in the trial of the chicago seven and the joseph gordon levitt character i had much more right. of a problem with that character than the rockwell character but i can definitely see where people's frustration and i definitely understand that the David Bowie dancing ending is not to everyone's taste. Yes. And I I love David Bowie and I'm a wildly sentimental man. So for me, I, I really loved it. But I was aware the first time watching, I was like, I can totally see how people would be rubbed up the wrong, rubbed up the wrong way by it. But I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really moving. I thought it was very sweet. And yeah. I, I, I do sort of understand more the, the arguments the, from the other side, but I did, I do, I do stand by Jojo Rabbit after having watched it a second time. I definitely stand by it. Yeah, and also the Sam Rockwell character. What I thought was, in, I thought it was an interesting thing I hadn't thought about, which is, it's not that he's a good Nazi; it's that he's 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 fucking jaded. He's like we've lost. Yeah, he's yeah. lost. So he's just getting drunk and like he knows. Yeah, he knows he's lost. I don't think it's that he's good. He's just he's not into it. He's like, oh well. That's fucked. Like he's in downfall. Yeah. He knows he's in downfall. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is an interesting yeah, he character. He he's not going. He definitely, <laughs> he definitely knows. He definitely knows he's in downfall. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> he's the only character in downfall who knows he's in downfall. <laughs> <laughs> Even Hitler doesn't yeah. know he's in downfall. He's t- and he is the he's the guy falling down. He's the main guy in the downfall. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your answer for Love it. So my answer is a film that we've touched on already, mm. is which is Greed. Yeah. Which did get a lot of very mixed reviews. Three stars everywhere. I'm a big fan of the Winterbottom Coogan axis. Um, I really liked A Cock and Ball Story. I really liked The Trip. I really liked, which I'd never seen before, it was my first time this year watching 24-Hour Party People, which is fucking great and not particularly a period of music that I mm. knew a huge amount about beyond Joy Division, but like just fucking love that movie. Um, I thought Greed was really, really interesting. I, I wouldn't 
claim that it was as successful as a whole piece Mm -hmm. as something like Cock and Bull Story or The Trip. But I did think, I did really enjoy it. And I did think it had some really interesting things to say about Philip Green and the type of person that Philip Green represents. And it's one of the first times, the film it reminded me most of was Vice because of its, you know, formal audacity. And also it's sledgehammering of the point, which you you were sort of alluding to earlier. Like it, you're not sat on the fence with mm. greed about how how they feel about Philip. I mean, they may as well have just called him Philip Green. I assume it was only legal issues that prevented them from... I, they could have just called him Gillip Free and it would have had <laughs> no, the same effect. They did call him Philip Greed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I also really enjoyed an examination of how somebody in British society reinvents their class origin. Mm. Because I do think that I think that that's a massive problem in British political life at the moment. Someone like Boris Johnson can come from the background that he came from and claim to be the voice of the people against the elites. Nigel Farage, who went to Dulwich College, which is you know an elite private school in South London, can come out and claim to be striking a powerful blow for the common man against the elites. And the Coogan character in that is such an interesting thing that I've never, I've just never seen before on screen. And I thought it felt really exciting and of the moment that they were talking about somebody who comes through the public school system and then is somehow has reinvented themselves as a self-made man, even though he had all of these privileges afforded to him in his upbringing. And I thought that element of it was fascinating. And I also thought the supporting cast, look, it was nice to see all, a supporting cast just filled with, yeah. yeah, all of my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, Tim Key, Johnny Sweet, Sarah Soleimani. It was gr- great him. to see all of them. Asim Chowdhury, Jess Foster Key's yeah. great, has a really funny interaction with Coogan. It was nice to see British comedians populate a comedy film mm. and just have like really funny and exciting scenes. Um, Ch- Charlie from this country yeah, is in a great. really funny, really, really great scene with him. I-, I didn't think it all quite added up in the end, but I really like Winterbottom's like style. I really like the verve that he attacks these kind of subjects with. And I like the righteous anger behind it yeah. because it is, it is disgraceful. What, change shops have done in South Asia is an absolute disgrace. Mm. And I thought that it was the first time that I'd seen something like that portrayed on a film, on film. And for that reason, I found it really exciting and energising. Yeah, I agree. I I really, really enjoyed it. And I always like Michael Winterbottom. I think he makes great films. Again, it's that thing of like, if a few people watch Greed because it's got Steve Coogan making funny face on the poster... And it's a comedy. And at the end of it, they go, oh, shit, I didn't know about that stuff. Better yeah. than if you say to someone, we're going to make, you got to watch this documentary about fast fashion. It's really depressing. They go, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I just... But then I also worry that the flip side of that is part of the reason a movie like Jojo Rabbit or Greed is less well received is because they've chosen to do it as comedies. Mm. And I wonder whether that's whether people feel like the very fact of doing comedy films about these subject matters undermines them. But I would much rather see a movie like Jojo Rabbit or a movie like Greed than a film like The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I didn't dislike. I feel like I really shat on that movie. (laughs) I didn't really, I didn't hate that movie, but it was 
a lot like any number of films about a significant historical event. Mm. And I think sometimes a bit of irreverence goes a long way. And I, it really definitely did for me with Greed. Good answer. Very good answer. And the next question I'm going to ask, well, let's, okay, here's what, one I want to ask you, is um, what film had the best depiction of Nish Kumar's teenage life? <laughs> are we now just we're getting closer to giving up the veneer of you'd be amazed uh, how often i ask that question and uh, (laughs) it's just one of the regular questions (laughs) i think look brett if you're asking me which film best depicted my teenage years or which film i've most related to more than any other film not just of this year but possibly of any film that's ever been released of all time i'm telling you it's the film boy state (laughs) You're Stephen. Now, if you haven't seen... Yeah, if, yeah. If you haven't seen Boy State, this is Stephen. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Boy State, I don't know how best to introduce it, other than it is a documentary about a very strange thing that happens in America, where the American Legion funds these essentially government camps for kids to do in the school holidays, and they separate by gender. So they have a boys' camp and a girls' camp. And so this documentary follows the boys' state, who are a bunch of teenagers who are all going to come together and basically do a model UN, but for an American government. So they're going to form state government and they're going to elect a governor and they're going to elect party chairman. And then they're also going to have like, they're going to pass a bunch of fake laws. And the documentary makers get to them the year after, because it's in Texas, which is obviously a very interesting state demographically. It's consistently been a Republican state but now there's a lot of changing demographics that may be pulling the vote in a way that Georgia has gone with the last election and with the Senate elections as well so it follows these kids I cannot Brett this is my super bad this is my Ferris Bueller's day off because it will surprise precisely no one (laughs) to know that I was president of my school's debating society that I competed in a school's debating society that I went to several talks at the Houses of Parliament oh and also did Model UN when I was a teenager. And this movie... Who were you in Model UN? Uh, Model UN, I was China, and we fucked around and formed the axis of Evil Knievel. So what I'm saying <laughs> is I've also taken it... I've taken it very seriously. I, we took the debates very seriously. I took it very frivolously and fucked around in Model UN. And all of that is in Boy State. You've got yeah. some of the kids who are just there taking the piss doing nothing and then you've got the other kids so steven is one of the protagonists renee is another one of the protagonists and these are but you've also got young young christian bale who's really scary yeah and then so you've got this like quite distinct racial and class divide really because like you've got this young latino boy who comes from a low-income family and he's just really been animated by the political upheavals of the last few years. And he specifically says like the candidacy of Bernie Sanders has really made me interested in politics. And then you've got Renee, who's this kind of skinny sort of rakishly handsome black kid who has arrived at boy state. And he says on film, I've never seen this many white people in my entire life. (laughs) Like he is absolutely baffled by everything that's happening around him. And it is that thing of when you walk into those situations in real life, it is surprising not just how white, but how conservative mm. politically those spaces are. And it is a real shock. And there's, a, there's an amazing bit very early on where uh, Rene says, I actually bought all these T-shirts with like funky left wing slogans to wind up some of the kids. And he's like, 
No, I'm not going to wear them now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just from a personal perspective, that is exactly what my teenage years were like. And it's always been a bugbear of mine that teenage films, I've never really seen that many teenage films that catch my experience. I can think of three off the top of my head, including Boy's Day. One is Spider-Man Homecoming, Mm -hmm. because I was Ned from Spider-Man Homecoming my entire life. And the other is Lady Bird. Those are like the three teenage movies. Breakfast Club, they're just all a bit confident. Ferris Bueller, I fucking hate Ferris Bueller. Not the film, I fucking hate Ferris Bueller, the character. That film only works if you follow the internet theory that Ferris Bueller is the imaginary. Mm -hmm. It's a Tyler Durden situation with his mate. And Superbad, they're very confident. That's what I always found with Superbad. I like Superbad and I enjoy it, but I never really related to it on any level. But fuck me, Boy's State. It was uncomfortable viewing for me. It is in my scariest film, Boy's State, as well, because... I mean, like one thing, like a just terrifying to see that amount of boys. <laughs> frankly, yeah. Uh, yeah, like it's very surreal. I don't really understand how it, this is a thing that happens every year. Yeah, yeah, it's like an origin story for the superhero toxic masculinity. Yeah. Like it really is. Like and the nice the, stuff. the stuff that I found really scary, and I'm always amazed about, particularly it seems in American politics, is so so like one of the boys goes up and he needs to get votes from all the other boys. And he starts talking about abortion, how we'll ban, he'll ban abortion. I'll yeah. ban abortion. We don't believe in abortion. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where have you got that? The thing I never understand about American politics is how much old men seem to care about women's bodies and have yeah. more it. And I, when, it, when you saw, like, when Trump, there was, like, I don't know, 20 old white men signing a bill banning abortion somewhere. And I was like... Yeah. What do you care? What the fuck has this got to do with you? It's so weird. It's terrifying because also you see the legacy of Trumpism. Yeah. And these boys are, you know, as much as this, like, you know, from for, for someone of my political persuasion, it's obviously very heartening that there are young people being animated by the March for Life and, mm. and the candidacy of Bernie Sanders and general left-wing and centre-left-wing politics. That's very exciting to me. But it is the flip side of it. And I imagine there's probably some people who are very excited by this, seeing guys clearly parroting Trump lines. And one of them specifically using the term shock and awe, which is the Karl Rove strategy from the 2004 election. And he specifically uses shock and awe tactics and calls them shock and awe tactics. And that stuff is very, very frightening. You know, it's specifically, I think they referenced this George Washington quote, but like Washington was famously against political parties. He didn't believe that there should be political parties because he thought it would be bad for democracy. And you see a little bit in the Mm. film of what he means, because they arbitrarily divide these two, these group of boys into two camps. Mm -hmm. And one of them is is one of them's federalist and one is nationalist, which is sort of it's like the loose division in American politics. But it only becomes about beating the other side. And I read an article that Rene has written subsequent to the film coming out. And he was talking about how he's like, I'm out of party politics. Like, I want to go and work in pressure groups and I want to continue to fight for the causes that I believe in. But the experience of Boy State actually put him off the idea of being involved in party politics. And it does, you do come away from it thinking, is this helpful? But then Stephen's political, his arc in the movie is very uplifting and the fact that at yeah, the so Stephen, Stephen, whose niche does, does like good work and is, and is sort of, sincere and uh sticks to his sort of morals but spoiler alert he doesn't win and the guy who wins what's interesting he gets right to the end but the guy who wins 
is the guy whose platform was I've got good abs. Like, and yeah. a guy that we don't really follow and we know nothing about, he's just sort of a good looking kid. But he, and he also specifically, he is co- repeatedly compared to Ben Shapiro, who's an alt right commentator. Right. And he is very happy with the comparison, which, if you know anything about Ben Shapiro, is fundamentally horrifying. Wow. It's like somebody coming in and being like, you know, I'm just sort of the Lex Luthor of my group of friends. <laughs> it, but it, all in all, it, I found it painful. I found it uplifting. I found the sincerity of Stephen. Stephen. Very, right. it made me relate to him. It, I felt very, I felt a real kinship with him. I can't claim to come from the wrong side of the tracks, Brett, but I was a chunky brown kid in debate camp. With real ethics. Effectively. I, I definitely felt a kinship with him. Uh, at some point in this, I want to do top five uh, set pieces uh, in a in a film, but yeah. one of them, I'm going to say one of them now, and it is in Boy State, which is one one of my favourite scenes of the year. Is uh, at the end when Stephen calls his family to tell them Incredible. how it went. It's such a beautiful, it's beautiful, and it is worth yeah. watching the film just for that scene. Yeah, Nish calling his mum to have a cry. And to say he's proud of himself. Oh, come on, this. But also the election results play like a thriller. Yeah. Like it's genuinely one of the most tense things I've experienced in, in a movie this year. Great. Great answer to the question. Best depiction of Nishko Kumar's teenage life. <laughs> well, probably the best answer we've had so far with that question. Uh, what's the film that means the most to you because of the experience you had around seeing it? There's a sort of three-way tie and I'll sort of explain all of them briefly. So one of them is definitely Parasite. Yeah. Because I've realised that watching Parasite, the way that I saw Parasite is the way that I want to see all films from now on. So I saw Parasite last year um, and was fortunate enough to see it in advanced screening, thanks to my friend Liz's kindness. Um, I was able to see it in an advanced screening and I saw it in a pretty much empty screening room and I saw it with Liz and we had a great time. We watched it and then we went out and had a nice coffee and a good long chat. We were properly buzzing. Unbelievable movie. Really great. But obviously my partner who was also invited to that screening has a, a Job. Is it Job? I don't know how to pronounce it. It's J-O-B. I don't know how no, to I pronounce know, it. I don't know what you mean. I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know. Okay? It's something that people it, do. Is it okay? It's, I don't know. I think I think she's managed to. I think it's like eczema. She's sort of managed the condition, but she'll have a flare up every couple Yeesh. of years. I think that. I think oh, that's I wish basically well, where I wish it well. <laughs> but she couldn't come, mm. so she and I went to see it the first day it came out in the cinema, and we saw it in a full house, and it was fucking brilliant. And I didn't mind that people were occasionally talking and people were rustling their popcorn because I'd seen it already. I'd had my like. I'd had my response to it. I got to see it. And then I got to experience and fucking parasite sold out. It was brilliant because it's, you know, it's, it's it's like, it's a greatest hits of movies, (laughs) you know, (laughs) parasite as a film is like, is like, Oh, you want to, you want to laugh. You want to cry. You want to be scared. You want to see incredibly beautiful photography. You want to be entertained. It's fucking, it's fun. That movie as much as anything else, it's fucking fun. It was so exciting. And so experiencing that in a full house was great, but also I was less bothered about it, the behavior of people in there, but it was, it was just, it was so brilliant. Then the other two are because of the specific circumstances 
uh, that we have found ourselves in this year, I have to say Tenet because Tenet was the first film I saw in the cinema for about five months. And I went to see it in the IMAX and I had a really good time with it. Can I tell you the plot of Tenet? No, <laughs> I cannot. But the thing is, you're not watching Tenet, you're catching Tenet. And that's the important thing. Oh, that I sounds caught, like you I understood caught. it. That sounds like one of the <laughs> no, things that no. an actor says in Tenet. You don't catch. I mean, that is one of the li- yeah. of, of one of the lines from the film. That's all I've got. That's the the closest I could get to understanding it. I had a perfectly nice time. Posh time cop. That's what I call it's it. Posh time cop. Posh time cop. It was posh time cop. But um, the experience of being back in the cinema, it was really moving. Hmm. And I saw it in the BFI IMAX, and at the IMAX in Waterloo. The, one of the people comes out and does a little speech about, you know, the exits are here and here. And I always clap at the end. And I'm always the only one who claps yep. at the end. And this time, I don't, I'm not okay, Brett, because this time when the person gave the speech, I was like, <laughs> I was crying because of the speech, the IMAX speech. The toilets, <laughs> the toilets, he said the toilet. The toilets are at the back. Imagine a public toilet. <laughs> And when it got dark, I was so excited. And I realised that I was so excited to be back in the cinema. Mm. And I I didn't go for ages, even when they reopened, because I was working and I thought there's a lot of people's jobs depend on me not getting coronavirus. So I was maybe overcautious even when they reopened. And then the only film I saw before they closed again, after my show finished and before cinemas all shut again, was Tenet. And, you know, it was like it was it was fucking massive. You know, and it was it was so nice to be back in the cinema, and I just felt so happy and settled. And you know, even though I I didn't you know I didn't get any popcorn, and I was wearing a fucking mask the whole time. Even with all of that being said, uh, I was still was so happy and excited. But for me, probably number one because it's a more positive version of that. I will go with the last film I saw in the cinema normally before that, and that was Bad Boys for Life. Right. AKA Bad Boys the Irishman. <laughs> Bad Boys the Irishman. It was Bad Boys the Irishman. That movie, the thematic overlap between Bad Boys for Life and yes. The Irishman has kept me up on several nights through 2020. And well, I, it's just a movie that I went to see with my friend late at night. We often go quite late to watch some sort of action movie. And Bad Boys for Life was great. I had a great time watching it. It was really funny. It features one of the best lines of the year, which is, you fucked a married witch, which is one of the funniest lines in any movie in the year. When Martin Lawrence says, oh my God, you fucked a married witch. I laughed so much. (laughs) And it really fixes itself in my mind as the last piece of normality before everything went to shit in 2020. So I'll never forget Bad Boys for Life. Um, Bad Boys for Life is my answer to the question... Which frivolous action film has the best Buddhist story suddenly randomly pop up in the middle of it? <laughs> I thought, I don't know what your answer was, but mine was Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> I have talked about this on one episode, I can't remember whose. But our, Bad Boys for Life has stayed with me, will stay with me for life, because in the middle of the film, which is, you know, great and silly and lots of... Yeah. Oh, hell no, happens a lot and all the things you want. You fucked a married witch. You fucked a married witch. In the middle of it, Joey Pantaloni suddenly, yeah, 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 suddenly yeah. literally out of nowhere, stops the film to tell an f- incredibly profound, <laughs> incredibly profound Buddhist parable, <laughs> which I think about every day. And then it goes back to shooting and driving fast cars. 
<laughs> it's extraordinary. Just out of nowhere, it stops. And he goes, well, I'd, should I say it? I've said it before. Yeah. Well, the story is, he says to Will Smith, he says, I can read it to you word for word. He says, there's this mountain man way up high. He's going down this long winding road. And out of nowhere, this other guy is riding a horse right toward him. The guy on the horse is riding towards the guy so fast that our guy's got to get out of the way so as not to be trampled by the horse. And the guy gets up all dusty and he says, hey, where the fuck are you going? And our guy on the horse, he says, I don't know. Ask the horse. The horse represents all of our fears and traumas. And it's got us running around 100 miles an hour to the point where we can't even answer a simple question. Where are you going? Where are you going, Mike? And then it goes back to shooting. <laughs> what? I mean, that's fucking deep. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's bad boys for life. And when people say, what changed, what changed the way you see the universe? It was bad boys for life. <laughs> I would say that that is... I, I'd actually slightly forgot about that in the middle of the movie. It, it, uh, that is, yeah, it's one of the great features. It's one of the great features in modern cinema. I I thought it had so much thematic overlap with The Irishman because it was all about, like, when do you say enough is enough? Like, when, w- at what point? You, you, you either call time on this lifestyle yeah. or it calls time on you. And I was like, halfway through, I was like, fuck me, this is, this is The Irishman. This is Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in The Irishman. The Irishman could have saved an hour if Al Pacino had sat Robert De Niro down and said, where are you going? (laughs) Where are you going? (laughs) Incredible. To be continued. Is that a cliffhanger? I'm not sure it's a cliffhanger. There wasn't even a question there. But the point is, in the next episode there's going to be the sexiest film the greatest film best opening best closing all the good stuff so i hope you come back for that that was episode 132 uh head over to patreon.com forward slash brett goldstein for all the videos and extra stuff you can get on all the episodes go to apple Podcasts, give us a five star rating and write about the film that means the most to you and why it's very lovely to read i do read them it helps numbers and i really appreciate it thank you Thank you so much to Nish for doing part one. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for part two where we will get into the real stuff. I mean, this was just an appetizer, wasn't it? Part two is where it's at. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so I'll see you there. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a lovely week. Thank you for listening. And please... Now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, 
BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you.